Look out, ladies and sensation seekers. A very bad man is coming your way. Split to media and a synesthesia podcast present a special daily October podcast. Hell, 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 hell. to the king, king, king. They call me Dr. Manhattan since a Dr. Man shat in my chest. No, I'm the blue. I'm the best. My DNA is blessed. I'm seeing past this mess, my eyes in the skies. There should be more, but that's as far as I get. Yeah, and I wanted to I wanted to at least come up with two more lines so I'd use it, but I was too slow. My first note is where's my dead baby? I have a I have a question for you, Jason. <laughs> What's your question, Jim? It's why do all the weird ones have to fly at night? <laughs> Red as a fire engine inside, black as a woodchuck's asshole outside. <laughs> That's me. That's you. <laughs> oh, man, Jim, we're getting so close. We're getting so close. Emotionally to each other? <clears throat> we're getting just, yeah. I'm just going to turn the lights down a little bit. Yeah, please. Put some mood music on. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to fly all night. <laughs> yeah, let's never stop flying. It's the it's it's this is this is big big twenty five coming coming at you. That's a we can rent the, a car now as a podcast. <laughs> the the dark side of October. Yeah. Uh, oh, hi everybody. <laughs> Welcome back to Hell to the King. King. All right, <laughs> we are entering the for real times home stretch. This is episode twenty-five, and we are talking about the Night Flyer. The Night Flyer. Jim, had you ever in your life heard of this movie before we started doing this project? No. You put it on a list of movies I had to watch, and I said, "Huh." <laughs> that is approximately what I did to myself. Yeah. Um, I thought for a while it was a TV movie. It is not. Yeah, this is one of, like, six in this last brief run that I assumed was going to be television and wasn't. There's just a lot. I feel like maybe yeah. so many of them have been miniseries. Mm-hmm. The, and, and just all the low-profile ones, I think, seem like they're going to be. Well, or this like, movie like also... it's going to be the Langoliers. Exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah. This is another one where I thought it was sort of a TV movie. There are reasons to think it's a TV movie, and you one could mount an argument te- that it technically is, sort Wait, of. Really? How? Well, so, uh, yeah. Um, the Night Flyer <laughs> is the story of uh, the the legend uh, Miguel Ferrer. Yeah. Oh, man. This is, Jason, this harkens back to what you were saying about Ted Levine, where he's a dude, he, Miguel Ferrer, likewise, is a dude that pops up in things once in a while. And every time he pops up, you're like, I am in love with this man. I, yeah. I, I watched Robocop once, where he's a relatively minor character. Uh, and I was like, that dude is the best. And then mm-hmm. didn't see him forever. And then he pops up, what, a little bit in Twin Peaks? Uh, mm-hmm. And occasionally in other things, and he's never the hero. And in this movie, he is the main dude, and I was so stoked. Yeah, yeah. and he lives no, up is, to it. He rampages. This is absolutely, in in the 
in the vein of Ted Levine yeah. getting the star turn he deserved in The Mangler, yes. this is Miguel Ferrer getting absolutely like the the central role that he should have had a dozen times over. He's in many other things. Jason, he has I think a lot of the physical uh characteristics i think of a vin diesel um he's not as like enormous obviously but uh, i think beyond that they have a lot of physical and auditory similarities um but miguel ferrer can act and i feel like he should have had the career there should have been triple x movies starring miguel ferrer not pornos triple x the vin diesel movies yeah i mean i would have taken any of that but still yeah um, no, I agree. I agree. He is another one of those guys who had a great career. Yeah. Yeah. Had a very, had a, you know, always worked because everybody always wanted. Of course. To, to have him in stuff. Um, but didn't, didn't cross over into that level of stardom that he so obviously deserved. Agreed. So this is the Miguel Ferrer fan hour. Yes. <laughs> um, We'll be taking you through all things Miguel. <laughs> I did actually. Can we really briefly? I I uh-huh. I Wikipedia Miguel Ferrer because I was like, surely there are other movies that he starred in that I should watch because this is the first time I've seen him really be in charge of a movie. Um, and he doesn't. You know, sometimes someone, you know, sometimes Ludacris gets famous doing verses on songs, and then when you listen to his solo album, you're like, oh, I wish he was doing verses on songs. Um, <laughs> And I, so I always have that fear, but with Miguel Ferrer in this movie, he just rampages the whole time. And oh, I yeah. never, I, so I was like, I need to find other, other of his, uh, of his films that he stars in. But I did, when I looked him up, um, I saw that, I mean, he's been acting in things on and off forever. Um, Robocop is his like breakout role. That's a fact. But he, uh, he also, Jason p- plays the drums on Keith Moon's solo album. Uh, yeah and uh and has written graphic novels for marvel uh that surprises me less just because there's so much overlap between like the or certainly especially in the 90s there was a lot of overlap between like the uh the comic book writer crowd and the like twin peaks fan crowd yes but usually it's not actors who you see writing comic books i or true as far as i'm aware Um, that is true Anyway, I was just delighted by those facts that he is yeah, those are, has those professionally are worked facts. as a comic book writer and a drummer, in addition to being a powerful actor. Yes, that is it is wonderful. <sighs> That's our fan hour. Um, oh my god. He's the narrator for the It's All True uh, documentary. The one that... Do you remember the... Uh, Orson, uh, or- Orson Welles, when, after he made... Magnificent Ambersons, mm-hmm. or like while Magnificent Ambersons was still being cut, went down to uh, Latin America to okay. make a documentary. Okay. Well, it's all true. And that's why he was out of the country when uh, the studio was like, we're going to change everything and burn oh. your footage. Okay. And, you know, turn you into a fall guy for all of this. And he was like, well, I'm off doing my thing, so I right. guess I can't do anything about that. Uh, and then that film. It was going to be called "It's All True." Never materialized. Okay. And, you know, he went on to you know the rest of the rest is Orson Welles' sure. history. But uh, some some years back, somebody took all the footage that he had and all the notes and made a like sort of finishing his documentary and also sort of documentary on the documentary he was sure. making 
Um, but anyway, the only thing I'm seeing is that Miguel Ferrer apparently narrates that. It's delightful. New documentary. So I will have to watch that. I would have anyway, but uh, now, even sooner. Jason, so we this movie starts with uh, with a random murder, <coughs> as horror movies often do, and mm-hmm. then cuts to uh, the offices of a tabloid newspaper, where the camera sort of swings around a hallway, and Miguel Ferrer stomps into frame, and is just <laughs> immediately fuming, and runs up to a man and is furious that he has cut a picture of a dead baby out of the magazine. Well, and we're not even actually sure that that's what it is yet. He just says, where's my dead baby? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he says, just because you don't have any balls doesn't mean you have to cut mine off. It's so good. He's the angry... Yeah, I, I'm... One of the things, the side notes from this series that I have is eventually, when we recover from this, yeah. I would like to do a uh, a podcast series with you called 12 Angry Men. Okay. Where we just uh, look is, at movies starring angry men. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we watch performances by the angriest men in okay. cinema. And you know, so far we, we have like Ed Harris, Miguel yeah. Ferrer, yeah. Ted Levine. Oh, yeah. And then other people be brought in like Gene Hackman. Yes. And, you know, we'll... we'll I, you know, Sam, Samuel I don't know Jackson. if this is too much of a sidestep, but I would also put an Odenkirk in there. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No, no. Well, because he's comedy you know, that, mad, but he's still real mad. We're gonna have to explore what sure. the contours of being an angry man okay. is. Yeah. And good. maybe we don't even have to be real sexist about it. We can open it up to some angry ladies. Yeah, for sure. Because there's some good ones out there. Yeah. So this movie, as I started to say, is the story. Uh, as I started to say, uh, twelve minutes ago, is the story of Miguel Ferrer as a uh, tabloid newspaper photographer. Yes. And, uh, and like writer. Super, and, and reporter. Super, super seedy tabloid reporter who uh, goes on the trail of what he comes to call the Night Flyer. Saw you had a Night Flyer last night. This him. So I said, saw you had a Night Flyer. Night Flyer. Night Flyer, yeah, which is a mysterious figure who flies a tiny private plane like a Cessna around, yeah. to, uh, like a Cessna around to different airfields, yeah, local uh, small airfields, yeah, local small airfields, and lands, refuels, stays sometimes for a couple of days, and horribly murders someone, yeah, and then go flies off with with no consequence, and nobody seems to be able to do anything about this or pursue it or even in some cases seem to understand that there is even anything happening it's yeah. all very very mysterious so um it seems the, like his mo is he flies into a small airport at night befriends somebody d- sleeps presumably during the day and then the next night brutally murders the person he befriended and then leaves that yeah, yeah. It, it's not entirely clear that that's sure. how it goes but it does seem like he either befriends somebody or or somehow manipulates them. Sure. Um, the 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 night flyer, uh, very early on in the film, is sort of tagged as uh, vampire presenting. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> as in, this is a person who flies around in a plane with blacked out windows. Yeah. And when he gets out, is wearing a giant like theatrical giant black funny cape. cloak. Yeah. yeah. And he <laughs> goes by Dwight Renfield, which. Yeah. 
Because Renfield, obviously, but then Dwight is the name of the guy who played Renfield. But what a terrible name, Jason. It's a terrible name. And they also ha- underlined it worst in the dialogue. Yes. The Dwight. I, I, oh my God. I almost, I, I, you, spoiler alert. I thought this movie was pretty great. Yeah. Um, Same. But really early on, I almost jumped ship because it starts off just the nerdiest shit. Yeah. Where everything in the script is some kind of reference for people who would be watching this in a room at a horror convention or something. And it just... Oh, it's just so annoying. Like, yeah. well, another Jimmy Olsen, yeah. Dwight Renfield. Well, but did you know that Dwight was the name of Dwight Fry, who yeah. played... But I just shut up. Shut up! Yeah, that's all very irritating. Nerds! Um, also, I mean, for whatever it's worth, I don't, I don't know if this was also a reference for nerds, but uh, Miguel Ferrer plays a character named Rick Dees. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, that's just a good choice. <laughs> Miguel Ferrer's editor... Uh, wants him to pursue this Night Flyer story, and, well, because and he doesn't he's think that there's anything to it. A tabloid reporter, Jason. He is a tabloid investigative reporter. He's yes. not. It's this is a world where tabloids don't just take a picture of something and then make up pap about it. This is a, a world where things are going on, and tabloid reporters chase it down and dive in and get out there and do the work. I mean, that is the world I prefer to live in. Sure, but it's a fake world. <laughs> <laughs> or rather, I, the, the the only investigative reporting they ever do is like uncovering John Edwards's mistress. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they're not they're not chasing down vampire pilots. Yeah, they're not like, "Ooh, we might be able to find an airplane, go get it." Yeah. Which uh, for what so Miguel Ferrer's character in this movie also cares only about carrying a camera, writing stories, and flying his own tiny airplane. So yeah. he's, he's sort of the perfect dude for. I this have job. my own plane. Yeah, um, yeah. Really, really early on, they, there's a line in the film that I wrote down uh, where Miguel Ferrer's arguing with his editor about why he doesn't care about going after the story. <laughs> yeah, he says vampires are a dime a dozen in the tabs, which. <laughs> Is another. It's just like that is another strange aspect of this world that this film is positing because I don't. I'm not the most prolific tabloid reader, but I don't think that vampires are always. Well, I mean, at that time, Bat Boy was in Week like Wheeler World News every week. Right? I suppose that's true. Yeah, I don't. So I don't know that that's a whole slew of vampires, but I do think I do think making up stuff about vampires is not out of the realm of tabloid behavior. Um, no, 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 certainly not. But yeah. just this idea that, like... That there's like, just an endless just, parade. It's, it's an endless parade of them, that it would be boring or something. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, just the, the tabloid, there's a certain point where the tabloid, uh, covers are shown on the wall, like yeah. a bunch of them, and at least two of them, and probably more, were specific references to other Stephen King movies. Oh, is that true? I don't know if I you saw those. There, there, there was one about like a satanic shopkeeper selling yeah. things in a small town, sure. and then there's another one that's like, the gypsy cursed diet, uh, you'll get so thin. Yeah. You're so um, Anyway, the uh, McGuffer, of course, ends up investigating the Night Flyer, and it turns out to be uh, you know, more there to it than... He thinks there's also a a young woman who is the the newest reporter for the tabloid, who is his sort of rival on the story. Um, 
kind of it's more it it plays out in different ways than that but that's yeah. the the easy way to describe it um you know she really wants to make a name for herself at this tabloid and so she's trying to chase the story down she's the one who thinks it actually has legs before yeah. he does and then and she's good at computers yeah she can use that machine and he can go out and he can talk fly to an the airplane hicks. i uh You're good with the hicks this is First of all, this movie is just, it's a really slimy Kolchak, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But it does, it's I, about 15 minutes into the movie, uh, Miguel Ferrer has established him, his character as a genuine monster of a human being. He like, uh-huh. he's just despicable and doesn't care about anyone. Uh, and and he's just, he's just really terrible. And I was hoping that the direction the movie was going to go was that the was that the Night Flyer was going to be a dude who dressed like a vampire and named himself a stupid vampire name and flew around and murdered people and was like, I'm real scary! And then the, the movie would end with them con- having a confrontation and Ferrer just absolutely destroying him because he's just a nerd who's a self-styled, <laughs> horrible person, but Miguel Ferrer is such a genuinely terrible person that he would ruin him, um, which isn't which isn't how it goes. It became clear... 25 minutes later that that's not what was happening but i was really excited about that version of it for a little while that would have been a strong version for sure that would have been the more uh i mean the the movie ends on a pretty bleak and cynical note as it is but that would have been like the even more like bleak satire note sure for sure but i mean then it, it turns around right it's so once it's clear that it is some kind of real monster that's out there and they don't show you him at all until almost the end of the movie that yeah this is the first movie that really kind of bugged me out a little bit because there was a while in there where it was just him chasing this thing and everyone else dying and i, I don't know what about it was working for me but i was a little and it could have been that i was watching it at three in the morning and that i'm you know weakened in the spine from having done this for 28 days or whatever uh but it it was working on me a little bit for a little while there no, this, and, this and honestly, movie right was genuinely, through, yeah, it's right up through. They have sort of a standoff at the end. Sorry, I'm jumping your uh, synopsis. Um, they have sort of a standoff at the end, and they show the, the Dracula's like. Your appetite for blood intrigues me. We have a lot in common, you and I. Perhaps you need me, Keith. But there are others who need me as well. Don't fear for your life, Deeds. I have no intention of killing you. After all, we are brothers in blood. The Dracula's like, uh, you want to see my face? I'll show you my face. And he shows it in a shot that's eight frames long or something. Mm-hmm. And it was legitimately terrifying. And then it yeah. cuts back to Miguel Ferrer, and then it cuts back to the Dracula, and you're like, oh, I can see him really well now. And it's just, it kind of lost me then. Yeah. And then they cut to back to him again three more times later, and I was like, they cut it out. If it was just that one first shot where his jaw drops open, I would have yep. I would have told everyone to watch this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, as, as it is, I'm not above recommending it, but... No, 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 for, it's still, it's the, good. It, it does, I, I, I agree with you that, like, there's this genuine creepiness to it that it kind of bubbles through, I, and part of yes. it, I think, is that it feels like a weird, It because it feels like it could be a TV movie, it feels yeah. like a low-budget, you know, production of something that some strange choices are being made all over the place in it. Um, yes. 
<clears throat> I'm not even sure how to necessarily characterize it. it. Just it feels cheap, but I don't mean that as a as an insult. No, just like it, it just, doesn't have a lot of money. It doesn't have a lot of money, and it some of the the pacing of scenes is so strange. Yes. And I think it's it, they're like really strong choices to deal with the fact that they don't have a lot of money. Yeah, where they the the film just leaves like a little bit too much time in a given shot, mm-hmm. or a little bit too much of a pause in between things. Where like the pacing feels off, mm-hmm. but not off in an incompetent way. Off in a way of like you're having it's, a dream it's making you step and wrong. yeah yeah exactly and you're like i don't you're keeping you off balance yeah um and it, oh yeah like those dreams really where your legs just won't move that. as fast as you yeah. want them to yeah yeah that's what the it's kind of what it feels like Agreed. and it it almost the cheapness i mean this is not the first film that that this kind of thing could be said about but like the, the cheapness sort of adds to the strange uh it, it makes it more visceral in some way. It makes yeah. it more connected. Like, if it was more expensive and more lushly produced, mm-hmm. you might be more distanced from it. But because yeah. it feels like something that you would just come across on television in the middle of the night and not really be sure where it came from or yeah. who the other than Miguel Ferrer, who these people are, yeah. or, like, what's going on. Um, like, it, it feels like it should just be a TV movie of the week about, yeah. like, you know... Uh, domestic abuse case that turns into uh yes. like a five minute chase scene in a set that they have access to for an afternoon yeah. but then the fact that it has this real understanding of vampire lore yes. at the core of it from from king and <clears throat> has such control over its willingness to and, until that very end where they show the vampire a bunch yeah they have so much so they, much they, restraint so much self-control so much restraint over yeah. how much you see what you see when you know how how they interact i was just really impressed with all of that yeah um you know it's the, it's the kind of film where they can make they just imbue a lot of scenes with dread without yeah. that much happening yeah, I mean, most of this movie is just Miguel Ferrer sitting somewhere or standing somewhere or walking around, uh, not believing in anything, and it's truly frightening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and a lot of that we can credit to Ferrer. Sure. You know, his, his performance, but the film is definitely giving him the space it's, to do that. It is, it, it's yeah. not working against him. It, no. It's There's a lot of strong choices. So th- this was, a, uh, my understanding, this was like an independent, uh, independently produced a European film. Yeah, okay. That then um I'm not sure exactly what they 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 put it they made it and they put it out on the market and then I guess what I was reading is that um a studio uh wanted to buy it but they couldn't put it out uh in time to satisfy the investors. Yeah. In the film so like there's some contractual thing where they had to satisfy the investors so they had to have it out uh, by a certain time, and the studio that bought it wanted to put it out at, like, Halloween, obviously. Sure, sure. And just the the timing was too long for the contract, so okay. they had to put it out on HBO first. Oh, weird. Which is where I say, so say it that it does sort movie. of a TV movie. Not it made wasn't as one, but made to be. one, yeah. Yeah, and then the studio, in turn, released it in, like, February after it was on sure. HBO, and t- nobody saw it. Of course. So it just disappeared, and that's why we've never heard of it. Interesting. There's, um... um I, just a couple of small details, Jason. In the in the editor's office, 
uh, the, the the editor of the tabloid. Um, there's three paintings hanging on the wall next to his desk of really sexy minotaurs, uh, <laughs> which I don't know what that means, but I liked it. Um, the, uh, oh, there's also uh, one of the most brilliant, just brief moments in the movie is sort of when they're revealing that Dwight is a real Dracula, um, is, uh, they, so, so he's just been hitting, he's been going to these tiny airports where there are only a couple of people and then killing those people, mostly old people. He's clearly, he's a Dracula and he's sad about it and he's trying to do the least damage he can. Um, and so he, he's getting, do you think that I, I didn't exactly get that sense, but we, we, we can address that in a minute, but okay. go, go so, forward with yours. So yeah, he just flies from tiny airport to tiny airport, eating whatever people he needs to eat, uh, and leaving everything super clean of blood. And then he gets really frustrated that Miguel Ferrer is chasing him down. This has clearly happened a couple of times. Uh, He sends him a couple of warnings. Miguel Ferrer won't back down. So he goes to a regional airport. And they even the movie, they're like, why would he go to... That's way too big for him. Um, And when Miguel Ferrer shows up there, he's just brutally slaughtered everyone in the airport. So there's this whole sequence of Miguel Ferrer walking around this airport full of dead people and taking pictures of them, and at some point it's too much for even him, the man who Mm -hmm. starts the movie demanding a dead baby photo. Um, And then he goes into the restroom and is peeing, and oh, no, he pees, and then he's washing his hands, uh, and he's standing in front of the thing washing his hands, and in one of the urinals behind him, in the mirror, a stream of blood starts to spray into the (laughs) urinal. Out of nothing, into nothing, uh, and then he turns around and the well dra- into a urinal. Well, into the urinal, yeah. <laughs> and then he turns around and the Dracula's just peeing into the urinal. But since you can't see him, it's just a stream of blood because that's what he pees, and it's so beautiful. Such a good, it was such a good choice, and yeah. it was also uh, such a good um, capper to a a, yeah. a running theme in the film, mm-hmm. which is that Dwight is super messy. Yeah. He's like super leaky and messy. Like there's yeah. all of these scenes right. where he all just the, like all the scenes drops the blood from the sky. Clean, right? But yeah, he, yeah, his plane leaves piles of dirt and stuff's yeah. always dripping off of him. When Ferrer goes into his airplane, just everything's covered in gross old blood. Yeah, he's a very leaky creature. And there, there's even one weird scene that I couldn't exactly parse uh, in terms of geography and physics, mm-hmm. but essentially cinematically what happens is miguel ferrer goes to look at a gravestone Mm -hmm. and then somehow dwight's plane flies overhead and drops blood only (laughs) precisely on the gravestone and miguel ferrer's hand yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and then flies away which is like again i don't it didn't seem like it was supposed to be literally happening except that it then does literally happen yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) but it was i was just like god dwight is just super leaky yeah Yeah, super nice. Oh, but then yeah. So then they have a little standoff, and he shows him himself, and then and then Dwight yeah. frames Miguel Ferrer for the murders of all those people. And you're like, oh, that's why he went to that big airport. Genius. Uh, yeah. And then he flies yeah. off scot free. It's it's a really lovely. It's tied up with a little bow. Yeah, it does really well. Um, uh, it, there's and there's uh, yeah yeah. I don't even have to. This feels like Jason, and I might, I don't know anything about anything, but this feels like a short story that was adapted in a way where it was allowed to play out like a short story and just with extra space for you to feel things in it. Um, and yeah. I don't I don't know that. I would guess I don't know. I would either, guess but forty I would pages. Do. I would guess this is a forty page story. Um, 
Because it feels, I don't know, I feel like a lot of them feel like either they're cramming too much novel. I mean, it could also be that it's just not a 700-page novel, I guess. Um, but it feels like they're not trying to cram too much in, and it also feels like they're not trying to make up a ton of stuff that doesn't f- totally fit. Yeah. There is a sequence I don't get where, so Miguel Ferrer goes, he's like getting ready for his final confrontation, and Julie Antwistle, I don't remember her character's name, the, the Jimmy Olsen lady. Uh, yeah. The rival reporter. The rival reporter shows up, and and they're like, all right, we'll work together. Um, Miguel Ferrer offers to share his byline, and she scoffs at that, like, that's not enough. But isn't that all he literally could offer uh, as co-writers, to share the byline? <laughs> well, he could offer uh, submission and, like, return the byline to her, I guess is the idea. Of, like, Oh, he's saying we should work like, together originally, and take co-credit because he, instead of... Yeah, because, like, he I rejected see. the story, and then she picked it up. I see. And it was going to be hers, and then once it seemed like it had meat to it, Miguel right. Ferrer just, like, really callously was like, all right, it's my story again right, now, right. you go back to your desk. Yeah. Okay. Well, so anyway, so they work on it for a minute, and they find a lead, and then Miguel Ferrer, they're in his room working, and he's like, all right, you go get your stuff... And I'm gonna, and I'll get ready, and then we'll go together in my plane to this small airport where that all the people get murdered. And she's like, cool, and she goes and gets her stuff, and she comes back to his room, and it's empty, and you're like, oh, he left without her. I kind of saw that coming. But then he jumps up from behind his bed and pushes her into a closet and locks the closet door closed. And I was like, why didn't he just leave without her? (laughs) What is he accomplishing by locking the by pushing her into a closet that he isn't by just leaving. Well, I guess delaying her, because it's not like she doesn't know where he's going. Right, but she's going to have to t- get a cab. <laughs> sure, but like in the and movie, she still shows up like... several hours of driving. Yeah. I mean, she she's still, even having been locked in the closet, almost gets there in time. Right, yeah, because it takes you... 40 seconds to kick your way out of a closet that's locked with a coat hanger, Jason. If, if he had just left when she went to go do her stuff, he would have been four minutes ahead of her. He would have gained three minutes. In the well, day. I, I, I think that's you imposing your uh, real-world experience, maybe, with <laughs> coat hangers on a film that is definitely positing that I think we're to presume that she's there until, like, a maid lets her out. That's insane. <laughs> Any adult human is big enough to get out of a closet with a coat hanger on the knobs um sure i'm just saying i i that, that's how i read the film's intent <laughs> um but uh there i'm just trying to to think of what else i wanted to say about this movie because it was a movie where as i was watching it i was like oh man this is really a thing i know i feel like but this is it, another one that's like pretty decent all the way through and I don't know how to be excited enough about it. I feel like I feel like there have been four this month that have been solid and good, and we just haven't done them justice when we've talked about them. I yeah, agree. Uh, and I think this is going to be another one. I I would totally recommend that anyone watch it. I think it's a delight. Um, I don't have much to yell I mean, about though. Yeah, I mean, because part of it too is that it's such a slow burn. Yeah, and it's such a mood piece. So much of it is just watching Miguel Ferrer walk around. That I mean, the thing there, there's nothing like super fun to grab a hold of except for you know him shouting at the beginning yeah and some bits here and there like i have some good notes here like strong use of dog oh yeah that dog is great it's like there's a really but all there is it's just like a really good scene where they use a dog well to make things creepy yes great um or the the long hair grave digger after the at the psychic tombstone psychic tombstone moment jim cha-ching um, or the oh there there's a our, there's a good one for our main accent tally in this. Oh yeah, that one dude yeah, up in what Bangor or whatever. 
Uh, Red is a fire engine inside. Black is a woodchuck's asshole outside. I had to back that up three or four times to figure out what it was he was actually saying. I'm glad you repeated it back to me because I never got... I got Red as a fire engine and I did not get woodchuck's asshole at all. It what yeah it was it took some real work um, <laughs> to to get there but um, yeah so the, the the movie one of the things I, I keep trying to describe the tone and it's almost like in this movie anytime anybody has to describe the night flyer's face they can't mm-hmm. do it yeah yeah because yeah. it just like it baffles their mind and they can't quite grab a hold of it which is yeah. is a is a a it's very a, Lovecraft that's a yeah, and it's a conceit I'm fond of. It's you know, yeah. it, it's another, it's a trick that he's borrowing from a lot of older stuff. But I, I'm always there for that, of course. Um, but uh, I, I feel honestly similarly about trying to describe what this film looks like, because yeah. I keep being like, it kind of looks like a late night drama, but mm-hmm. it kind of looks like a soap opera, but mm-hmm. it kind of looks like a movie, but it mm-hmm. kind of like. It it's definitely really looks hard more to like pin TV. down. It looks more like TV than it does like cinema. Yeah, except for sometimes. Except uh, for like, sometimes. and I don't know. Like once what, in a while, it, it's, it's doing just... stuff in a really cinematic way. But yeah, mostly yeah. it looks like I don't know. No, it's so it's just it's really hard to describe. But and, and like there's there's scenes where it's really dark and really yes. brutal, yes, and really gory and violent. And then there's other scenes where like when she has to rip up her plane ticket, yeah. It's like when, when Miguel Ferrer takes the, the store. Yeah, and this like slow motion weird musical moment of yeah. throwing this confettied plane ticket yes. in the air. It's like, why is this happening right now? I also, don't know. The music but it's just putting me off like kilter. The music through the whole thing is lightweight sitcom music. And most of the time it's fine and sometimes it's a little distracting, but it is always weird. There's a lot about this movie that is just it's coming at you from sort of four parallel directions, and you have to dodge around to, to get it. Yeah, it's kind of like you got at an elevator in a building you're unfamiliar with, and a guy wearing, like, mom jeans yeah. just starts telling you this story yeah. while elevator music plays, and you're going all the way up to the 42nd floor. Yeah. And at first the story is like, okay, yeah, I'm just talking to this guy, but then, like, by the time you hit the 26th floor, it's like, this guy might have killed someone. Yeah. I might not get out of this elevator alive. Yeah. But like and then, the and then music's like still floor, playing, and he's on still floor wearing mom jeans. Another it stops, and another guy gets in and starts screaming at the guy who's telling you the story. But the guy who's telling yeah. you the story just keeps telling you his story like nothing's happening. Yeah, and you like go to get out on that floor, and for yeah. some reason you just can't quite make it. Yeah, I, yeah, this is it, yeah. The, yeah, the um, elevator doors shut faster than any elevator doors you've ever seen before. <laughs> I have one. I have one note from the the scene in uh, in the Wilmington Airport with all of the carnage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. is that there? There's a, <laughs> a part where Miguel Ferrer just straight up slips on a huge pool of blood oh, and falls it's down. So good, Jason. I and actually I, spent 45 minutes trying to look up. I used to hang out with clowns more, and I knew the names for the different kinds of. Um, uh, Pratt Pratt Falls. Falls. and yeah. that one is it has a specific name it's like a 108 or it's, it's a number if anyone knows i want you to tell me because i cannot remember um but uh, it's the funniest pratfall it's the one where you just your feet launch out from under you and you almost do a backflip and then just fall flat on your back he does one of those and it's beautifully done i also 100 percent guarantee that miguel ferrer knows exactly oh, yeah. what pratfall he was doing yeah, and yeah. he knows all of them and has the names down or like had rest in peace yeah Miss Miss Missy Miguel, 
Um, oh, but the, the, just the the note I wanted to make is that 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 is just such a way underutilized move in horror yeah. movies. Yes. The only other one I can remember doing it is a movie I don't really like. Okay. Uh, but Halloween two, the original one, okay. the, the the carpenter needs to get paid for the first movie yeah. sequel. Um, if I remember correctly, has a really great moment where like a doofy intern at the hospital walks into a room and slips on a giant puddle of blood and cracks his head open and dies brilliant uh, and it's it's so well done it's like yeah that should absolutely happen more yes like, this stuff's wet and slippery it's getting all over yeah um don't don't be afraid to mix your mix your goofball pratfalls with your with your bloody horror I just, in our uh, unified theory of Stephen King only writing about the precise moment that he's in, mm-hmm. I was reading this as him being a person who's sort of grappling uh, with being a person who creates art based in horror, right? Because the thing that comes back mm-hmm. and gets Miguel Ferrer at the end is that his own uh, un- his own interest in this, his like, objective, he's turned off his own horror and is just allowing this all to be what he deals in. Um, yeah. But it feels much more self-incriminating. Not that Stephen King isn't self-incriminating, but it, it ends in a way that Stephen King doesn't let things end for himself. But it also, it feels like all the things the tabloid is printing is sort of focusing on what is worst in people. It's sort of focusing on the intrinsic darkness of people. And Stephen King's yes. stuff all focuses on the light within people being what saves them from the darkness of the world. So it doesn't, I don't know if, I don't have a good King read on this one. Yeah, I'm not sure about that either. I mean, I know the ending is one of the only slight changes from the story. Like, this is a oh, pretty really? straight adaptation of the story. Sure. <laughs> um, but the ending, I think in in the story, it's left a little bit more ambiguous about, like, what's he going to do now that he's in an airport full of bodies? Sure. And the police are coming. And yeah. in this one, it is not ambiguous at all. Yeah. Um, uh, but... Even so, I don't think that I don't think that changes your basic question, right? Um, Which yeah, I don't. I, don't, I, 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 I have to. Ponder. Yeah, it is one to ponder. the The short story was from 1988, mm-hmm. so it was it was no pre getting clean, mm-hmm. um, but post trying to get clean. Okay, so it, it's in the midst of that uh, that struggle, yeah. and I think there there is something to. You know, even if his stories tend, or his novels tend to try to find the um, the sort of human beacon within all of this horror, mm-hmm. he still spends so much time mired in the horror. Yeah. And, and so much of it does, like, King novels, I, I think, in comparison to some other horror writers, are more optimistic, maybe, or more sure, humanistic. Sure. But it, it's, it's by a matter of degrees, right? Because yeah. you have four or five hundred pages of evil... <laughs> winning and then maybe you have like 100 to 200 pages explaining how maybe it won't totally win in the end right right but like it for a it's it's really dominant so you know that that might that might be sort of what's happening yeah in here i guess the question then too is like is is stephen king the tabloid reporter or is he the night flyer oh that's true i guess i was reading him as the writer because that is where he always puts himself (laughs) for sure for sure but who is sort of ruining himself through his own connection with the darkness yeah and absolutely even you know the night flyer even he is like you've been obsessed with me your whole life this is all you've ever wanted this is what you want yeah this is what you're going for you know so it does feel like it's sort of him maybe just being sad about the choices he's made which does bring me back to what i guess should probably be my last point because we're running on time here for sure um but 
the you you were saying that like you got this read on the night flyer as maybe being uh you like trying to to minimize the amount of damage he does in the world yeah. or something like that yeah. and i didn't get that at all i i got it just as he he just is sort of um you know nibbling at what he finds like he's he's wherever he lands he finds what will be the most effective space for him to go into, whether it's taking over this old couple's life mm-hmm. or eating a mechanic at the airport. Like he, he's, I, I got him as, as this, especially from that, that speech at the end, he's really purely like amoral, just death personified that exists in mm-hmm. the margins of everybody's life. Okay. I was seeing, because he's choosing to fly into tiny airports where there will only be a couple of people, and because all of the victims that we see are old folks, and because he seems so sad at the end, uh, and he seems like, the whole time he talks to Miguel Ferrer, it seems like he's like, you are in pursuit of evil, and I am damned to be evil, was sort of the read mm, I got mm-hmm. on that. So for me, it felt like it was a thing he's not excited about, and like he's trying to to just take what he has to uh, and limit his damage and and just he's just trying to also survive alongside everybody. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I can see that read there, and I yeah. I, I I will eventually rewatch this movie. Yeah, of course, because I liked it a lot. Yeah, uh, and I'll be thinking about that as I rewatch it and seeing where it kind of where I think it fits in. But yeah, yeah this is this is this is a weird one. This it is, is a weird one. This is it, and <laughs> like like all the other other weird good ones it's this just totally off the map tiny thing that i would have never ever given a minute's thought if we weren't doing this project so i i guess i'm glad you know i'm I'm glad we're doing this yeah if if it results in me finding you know the ted levine and the miguel ferrer starring turns and seems seems worth it can't be all bad um all right well just keep flying those night skies and we will we will see you at the next filling station. <laughs> Hell to the King is a special presentation of the Synesthesia Podcast, produced by Iguana Donald Studios and distributed by Split Tooth Media. Music by Loyalty Freak. Hell to the king just wants to love you right, baby. I might not get out of this elevator alive. Synesthesia.